Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode in our Business and Human Rights podcast series. My name is Gerard Meyer. I'm a partner in the international arbitration team at Linklaters in Amsterdam. In this podcast, we will be exploring the relationship between business, human rights, and arbitration. I have the pleasure to be joined by two colleagues from our international arbitration team. Juan Manuel Sanchez Pueyo is a managing associate. Juan focuses on international arbitration and is based in both Amsterdam and Madrid. Suleiman Wellings-Longmore is an associate currently based in London. Suleiman has a keen interest in the interplay between human rights and arbitration. Hi Juan, hi Suleiman. Great that you can be here today. Hello, Gerard. Hi Gerard, great to be here. Historically, it's fair to say that the interplay between human rights protection and arbitration has not been substantial. Arbitration has traditionally been a forum for commercial or investor state disputes, while human rights issues would be normally heard before other forums. But in recent years, we have seen a number of initiatives and developments that aim at expanding the scope of arbitration to include human rights issues as well. Today, we will discuss two of those initiatives the Hague Rules on Business and Human Rights Arbitration, and the Bangladesh Accord, which has already given rise to arbitration proceedings in The Hague. In the last few years, the Netherlands has played an important role in this convergence between human rights and arbitration. One example is the new Dutch Model Bilateral Investment Treaty of 2019, abbreviated as BIT. Typically, investment treaties do not make express reference to human rights principles or obligations. The new Dutch model bit does. One of the most interesting aspects of the new model bit is that arbitral tribunals are empowered to take into account the behavior of the investor and reduce any compensation if the investor fails to comply with its commitments under the United Nations guiding principles on business and human rights. These principles include the corporate duty to respect human rights and the necessity of a remedy for victims of business-related human rights abuses. Multinational corporations have grown in importance and power, and it is clearly crucial that accountability exists when human rights violations do occur. Unfortunately, using national courts to enforce business-related human rights commitments has proven rather difficult. Litigation in the home countries of corporations may be unrealistic and expensive for victims, and foreign courts may be unwilling or unable to prosecute such cases. Therefore, arbitration may provide a proper solution, be it investment arbitration or commercial arbitration. It is in this context that the two developments that we will discuss today are relevant because they both aim at bridging the traditional gap between arbitration and human rights. So let's talk about the Bangladesh Accord first. Juan, could you tell us more about how the Accord came into existence and who are the parties to it? Thank you, Gerard. In April 2013, a factory in Bangladesh which manufactured clothing for major international fashion brands collapsed, resulting in the death of over 1,100 people and more than 2,000 being injured. This was the last of a series of accidents in the clothing industry in Bangladesh. An investigation revealed that the floors of the factory had been built without a valid permit. 
This led the relevant stakeholders to immediately negotiate a framework to monitor, report, and remedy future safety issues. Less than a month after the collapse, the Bangladesh Accord was signed in May 2013 by labor unions and fashion brands operating in Bangladesh. The aim of the agreement is to make the Bangladeshi clothing industry safe and sustainable, and it focuses on the prevention of accidents, such as fires and building collapses that could be avoided through reasonable health and safety measures. Thank you, clear. But what has been achieved so far? Well, so far, more than 200 fashion brands from over 20 countries around the world, together with domestic and global trade unions, have joined the accord. Currently, the accord covers more than 1,600 factories and 2 million workers in Bangladesh. The accord is a legally binding agreement, whereby signatory brands have committed to require their designated factories to improve fire and safety standards while contributing to the cost of these measures. The implementation so far has been a great success. It has been reported that in the first five years of the accord, more than 1,800 factories were inspected, while 650 factories have completed 90% or more of the required safety improvements. And this accord also contains a dispute resolution mechanism. What makes it novel or interesting? Well, Gerard, the novelty is that it is the first time an arbitration procedure has been integrated into a global framework agreement for the resolution of business and human rights-based disputes. It's a two-step dispute resolution mechanism. This allows labor unions to bring claims against signatory brands for failing to meet obligations under the accord. A dispute is referred to a steering committee composed of representatives from global trade unions and brands and chaired by a representative of the International Labor Organization. This committee has to render a decision within 21 days. The second step allows the parties to appeal the committee's decision before an arbitral tribunal, which we will finally settle the dispute. The arbitration is seated in The Hague and administered by the Permanent Court of Arbitration under the Ankitra Arbitration Rules. And you know that there have already been some cases initiated under the accord. Can you tell us a bit more about these arbitrations? Certainly. So far, we know of two arbitrations that have been initiated pursuant to the accord. In July and October 2016, two labor unions based in Switzerland initiated two separate arbitrations against fashion brands. It was alleged that the brands had failed to require their designated factories in Bangladesh to improve safety standards as required in the accord. The labor unions also allege that the brands had failed to negotiate the necessary commercial terms to make it possible for the factories to face the remediation cost, as is also required under the accord. In the end, both disputes were settled in 2018. According to the labor unions, the settlement ensured that more than 150 factories would be brought into compliance with the accord, with substantial funds being provided by the brands. It is, of course, encouraging to see the accord being successfully relied upon to ensure compliance with human rights principles and to see arbitration playing a role in resolving human rights-related disputes. Thank you, Juan. That is very encouraging indeed. And now let me turn to Soleil so we can talk about the second initiative we mentioned at the beginning, the Hague Rules on Business and Human Rights Arbitration. Soleil, I understand that despite the successful bringing of business, human rights, and arbitration together under the Bangladesh Accord, there were concerns regarding the use of traditional arbitration rules for business-related human rights arbitration. 
Can you tell us a bit more about these concerns? Yes, well, human rights issues are a public concern. So there's a requirement that business and human rights arbitration or BHR arbitration be transparent and not confidential, as is normal with commercial arbitration. Transparent proceedings allow the public to hold arbitrators accountable for delivering fair and impartial awards, which is important in instilling trust in the process. Moreover, the current arbitration framework doesn't easily allow for BHR victims and their representatives to participate in proceedings. Numerous victims may seek to be represented in BHR disputes, so arbitral rules that qualify victims as legitimate claimants and allow them to join existing claims are essential. Accordingly, international lawyers and academics set about drafting BHR-specific arbitral rules funded by the City of The Hague that facilitates BHR arbitration, which will be offered to international arbitration institutions, known as The Hague Rules. On the 12th of December 2019, the launch of The Hague Rules took place at the Peace Palace in The Hague. Now, the Hague Rules are based on the UNCTRA Rules 2013. However, the Hague Rules deviate from these rules where needed to address issues or concerns that may arise in BHR disputes. Thank you. But what are the potential advantages of the Hague Rules? Well, the Hague Rules offer many potential advantages in promoting arbitration as a forum for BHR disputes. When compared to court litigation, these benefits include neutral and impartial proceedings, a more flexible and BHR-tailored process, parties' choice of expert arbitrators, binding international awards, and an increased scope for remedy. Pursuant to the Hague Rules, parties could include businesses, individuals, labor unions, communities, states, etc. Moreover, BHR arbitration clauses could be inserted into supply chain contracts, meaning entire supply chains could be covered by a BHR arbitration arrangement. This could allow the originating business to arbitrate against any BHR breaching supply in that chain, exposing a violating supplier to relatively fast enforcement while not increasing the originating business's liability. And Suley, you mentioned that the Hague rules actually deviate from the answer to arbitration rules. Can you give us some examples of this? Yes. So in acknowledging that the party may face barriers to access to remedy, for example, a lack of awareness of the arbitral mechanism, a lack of adequate representation, issues surrounding costs, physical location, or fear of reprisal. The Hague will stipulate that tribunal shall ensure that such party is given an effective opportunity to present its case in fair and efficient proceedings. The Hague rules also allow the tribunal to keep the identity of a person confidential, where this may be sensitive or cause prejudice. And finally, the Hague rules permit for the joinder of a third-party beneficiary of the underlying legal instrument to an existing claim. But I understand that the parties can opt out of certain provisions of the Hague rules, or just not consent to arbitration at all. Doesn't this affect the effectiveness of the rules of business and human rights arbitration in general? Well, as we've heard, there have been some very promising signs under arbitration brought pursuant to the Bangladesh Accords which shows that some corporations and claimants are willing to employ business and human rights arbitration. Further, public pressure from consumers, clients or stakeholders might encourage consent even more. But one can also think of other challenges. For example, the potential disparity of resources between parties. Do the Hague rules address this issue? Yes. So the Hague Rules is aimed to address this issue by allowing tribunals wide freedoms to help mitigate this imbalance and permit them to consider imbalances in power and access to evidence when admitting submissions, amongst other powers. 
Adequate funding models will be key to ensuring fair proceedings and enhancing the viability of BHR arbitration. Unfortunately, pro bono arrangements may expose smaller law firms to cash flow problems. Large law firms may be unable and unwilling to represent victims due to client conflicts. The next step would be to see corporations including BHR arbitration provisions in their contracts. With wide institutional uptake, we may soon see law firms advising clients and NGOs explaining to stakeholders that business and human rights arbitration is a suitable alternative when national courts are not available. Thank you very much, Suley. It will indeed be very interesting to see what the next developments will be, both in the area of commercial arbitration and in the world of investment arbitration. Unfortunately, we have run out of time for this episode. Thank you very much once again, Juan and Suley, for joining us today. It was a pleasure to be here, Herod. Thank you for having us. And to those listening to our podcast, thank you for tuning in. We hope you found it informative. If you like this topic, you can visit the Linklater's website, where we have lots of resources on business and human rights. And you can listen to the other podcasts in this series.